This is the premiere episode of season three is thanks to you, the listener. I appreciate you and welcome you. My first guest is the wonderful Paige Chambers Rutchie, Resolute Artists Agency. My agent works so hard and has been such a guiding light and a source of strength throughout the global pandemic. And she also has some life experience in Ukraine, which she talks about in this episode. When we recorded this, Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, and now it's the end of May as I'm recording this intro. It's been a time in this world. I will get right to the interview, but I just want to offer everybody my thoughts and my wishes for peace, my wishes for everyone to have perfect health and to be safe in their homes, out in public, and in the world. So without further ado, here's the lovely, lovely page. Uh, welcome everybody to the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast. And today is a special day. I'm here with Paige Chambers Rutchie, an agent, fabulous entertainer, performer in her own right. Welcome, Paige. Michelle, thank you. That was way too kind of an introduction. I appreciate it so much. I'm so glad to be here with you. So you are based in Atlanta. I am. Yes. I actually grew up here. I'm North of Atlanta. So in the suburbs, but I actually grew up training at my mom's performing arts school that she started in 1980 and have a, a good affinity for Atlanta, went away to work for a couple decades and am now back in Atlanta. When did you first hit the Broadway stage in New York? And I know you're one of Susan Stroman's beautiful leggy showgirls. So do you want to tell that story before we get into what you're doing now? Oh, Michelle, thank you. Honestly, I, I still can't believe really that it happened. It is an outlier story. I never want to put anything on anyone as their path. Everyone is on such a varied path and it goes up and down and, and so many windy roads. So I, I tell this story with the utmost of humble, being humble and, and graciousness. But actually, I was, I was training very intensely as a kid and loved it and didn't want to do anything else. So that was really the bulk of my passion. And I was very lucky to be able to explore that first love was a dancer. Second love was an actor. Third love was a singer. And yes, I am about 5'11", as you said. And at the time I was training heavily, heavily, heavily in ballet. And I, my mom very graciously, and my parents were able to bring me up to New York starting about age nine. And so I was focusing more on ballet intensives. Well, at some point, and we were, I was going to Joffrey and I was going to a lot of um, scholarship trainee programs. They said, well, you know, you're 5'11", you know, this is like 1990. You, unless you're a prima, which is going to be very, you know, maybe impossible, your world in ballet is limited. So in one way, I think that my dreams were a little bit bashed, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm glad that they sat me down and really said that. So I was sneaking off to Broadway Dance Center anyway, and going up to take multiple classes after I did eight hours of ballet. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that foundation. I'm very grateful for that world that I was able to be a part of, art part of because I think that, that that technique and that foundation, that discipline really got me through a lot, but kind of circling back. So I started focusing um, a little bit more on trying to figure out if I could get to Broadway, if I could get to a show. Now, I was still in high school. So at the time, I performed and one of the performers in Crazy For You saw me performing and came up to my mom after I was performing and said, hey, I, I'm in the show called Crazy For You. It's a very tall, leggy show. And 
remember this was prior to the internet and I hate to say that, but it was, you know, my mom had said, Oh, well, thank you so much. She's still in high school. We so appreciate you, you know, kind of reaching out to us. We, I just, I went back home and I went back to school and, and, you know, it kind of, of course, and not ignited me. Well, we got, my mom kind of stayed in touch with him and the casting director, Barbara Cavarnia, who was phenomenal, ended up calling my mom a few weeks later and said, Hey, we have someone that's possibly leaving the show. Could you fly up to New York with your daughter and audition? And this was just a a dream of a lifetime. I mean, to go in and audition. So it was for the national tour that didn't work out at that point. It was actually going to Germany. So it was, you know, they offered some of the Broadway cast or some of the, you know, some people, I don't think it had gone on tour yet. Maybe it had at that point, but I was lucky enough to be offered a spot and lo and behold, who whose spot I was able to take was Angie Schwar, who became just a mentor of mine for decades. And we're still close today. So I went up and I, I saw all these Broadway icons at the audition. And I don't remember exactly. I do know from a picture that my mom took that I had Tweety Bird earrings on, um, not for the audition, but I was sitting outside in the, on the couch and I had this blue leotard and I had little Tweety Bird earrings. I had my you know outfit on. And then um, I took my earrings out, of course, before I went into dance. And I just was looking around at just Broadway's greatest and being 17. And I was just, oh my goodness, I was in awe. Well, the day kept going on and I kept making it further and further through the cuts and Chris Peterson and everyone was there. I remember just tapping and then singing and then I kept going down to the end and and I was standing there just with a few girls at the very end of the day. And I don't remember those those long amazing, grueling 10 hour days. And um, so I was at an agent call and they said, uh, thank you so much. It was so great to meet you. And I packed up my things and left. It's, it's crazy to tell this next part, but basically my dad and I, we were on the plane going back and remember when they had the phones in the actual seat in front of you. I do. So we were going back on the plane and my, my dad said, you know, you need to call Barbara and thank her so much and just for an amazing experience. And so I was using the airplane phone and she said, wait, what are you doing? Why are you leaving? We need you to come to a costume fitting. So it was just, oh my goodness, we had, we had no idea. I mean, we were, we were green in that way. So because they said, thank you so much, you know, you think you don't know what's going to happen again, long story short, I, I feel that yes, my talent was there, but it also really came down to, can you fit into these costumes that were already built and existing and and sometimes it comes down to that, as you know, and as we all know. So I ended up going in and I was nervous because I thought, oh my gosh, if I can fit into these costumes, I can get to the show. So your mind starts going, oh my gosh, do I not eat for two days? What do I need to do? Um, which isn't healthy, but you know, we, we go there naturally. And so um, I ended up getting it and it was um, it went to Germany. So I ended up graduating from high school in Berlin and, and Jeff Shade and just all these amazing, amazing Stephen Reed and all these just amazing Broadway icons threw me a high school graduation party. They even did a diploma for me with my actual class mascot on there. They calligraphied, I'm not sure if that's a verb, but they used beautiful calligraphy to do the, the, the diploma for me and threw me a big party. And so it was, it was just from Lawrenceville, Georgia as a high school senior and, and just launched out within, within just a very short amount of time. So just experience of a lifetime, really to have your first experience with Susan Stroman and, and then graciously, she continued to hire me for, you know, over a decade, but that, that was just, when I still think about it, I, I, I don't believe that it really happened. It's just kind of surreal. 
I love this story. That wonderful feeling when you're standing there and you've danced and sung for hours, but yet you're the, like the last woman standing almost. And you're like, I think I got this. There's no better feeling. I love when you get the call and they say, we'd love to offer you this. Such a beautiful feeling. Susan Stroman kept using you. I want to point that out to the listeners because I have a lot of young performers on this podcast who are learning things and being a good cast member is so important. And sure, clearly you were. There came a point for you though. And was it during the producers that you decided to get your MBA and your degree in finance? You want to talk about that shift for everybody? Michelle, thank you. And it, it, it's a big shift over just a, a, a beautiful career and a beautiful journey. And a lot of things happened from that amazing time and crazy for you till to the producers um, on Broadway. So I was very, very lucky to be a part of the first national tour. And then I was a part of the Los Angeles cast and we also did San Francisco. So we had Martin Short and Jason Alexander and just some amazing, amazing um, legends in their own right and performers and people. And I, had just signed a lease in LA for my apartment. I had purchased a car, a little convertible, and we were going to be sitting down in LA for a long time. Well, I remember I was at a gas station on Sunset Boulevard and I get a call from my agent back in New York. And she said, Susan and Mel want to bring you into the Broadway cast. And I just was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You know, and I, I said to her, I said, this is just the timing, isn't it? Is it's, it's kismet sometimes because you'll, you'll book a vacation and you won't, you'll be dry. You won't have an audition for six weeks. You book a vacation and then you're, you're getting six self tapes right now. <laughs> like you're just trying to tape everything, but it was literally that. And I called my mom. I remember I was pumping my gas, just shaking, going, oh my gosh, because also I was a third understudy to Ula when I was out there. So there were, there were a couple of people ahead of me in line and so I thought, oh my gosh, they're bringing Nathan and Matthew back to Broadway and, and maybe I'll be able to go on for ULA one day or I'll be an ULA understudy. I'll be hopefully work my way into being able to perform. So it just was, they say the phone call that changes your life, but it, they do. I mean, um, and I, I'm so, so honored to be able to give those calls today. So I was able to quickly move. And, you know, one thing that was so incredible, but also so crushing was that I didn't get asked to do my track that I was doing out there. So when I went back and I had to face like my good friend, that it was her track that they asked me to do to go back to New York. And so, you know, I think a lot of us may have been in that position before where it actually had happened to me in another show, but I just felt crushed on one hand because I'm looking at my friend and she's going, oh my goodness, she didn't get asked to go. I think, I think that also maybe being an ULA understudy may have helped me in that case. So basically what they did was they took one of the girls from the Broadway show and they brought her out into that cast into LA. And I don't know how it all happened. It's sometimes you know, magical and, and, and horrible at the same time. I don't know what went down, but I was able to get in. My agent just fought for me so hard to, uh, cause I had just outlaid all this money, you know, to, to live in LA. It was, it was truly phenomenal to go back into a world that had been established. And, you know, I, I say this again with grace, but one of the biggest shows in the history of Broadway and, you know, winning more Tonys than Hamilton, nothing comparing it to Hamilton. I'm just saying that to go into that fervor, was amazing. And it was an amazing experience. It was an amazing show. I, I feel like the cast really was a phenomenal cast. And 
I'm still in touch with many of the people today. It just was kind of a historic moment, I think, to be a part of that. And I did get to go on once for ULA with Nathan and Matthew. So I did, I did get to go on. But kind of shifting into your question was, you know, being, being so grateful to have been starting to work at age 17, I turned 18, but 17 until that point, I really truly felt like I wasn't fully whole. I felt something was missing. And, you know, to everyone out there that's listening, I, I do say this again with the utmost of being gracious and humble because you're in the biggest hit show on Broadway and you still might not be happy in a sense of the fulfillment, the deep fulfillment that you might be looking for in life. You can have hundreds of millions of dollars and people say that and people say, you know, oh, well, you can, you can be an NBA champion or whatever it could be, an Olympian. And it, it doesn't have to be these grandiose achievements, but you know, wherever you are in life, I think can, can shift. And it really shifted in me there. So I I remember just saying to myself, if I'm not happy in the biggest show in the history of Broadway, and again, I say that with laughing, not, not in an egotistical way, um, then, then I need to make a big, big life change. And I I don't know if I'm the only person that's ever left the show willingly, like gave a notice and left. Um, I'm not sure. I wasn't trying to have that happen, but what really was the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was I booked a national commercial and it was a very large amount of money. And it was a Canadian film crew. And they said, well, we'll shoot on Monday since that's your day off, but we might need a second day on Tuesday. Could you take a personal day? So when I went in to management, I told them what I did. I told them what happened. And I said, could I please have this Tuesday off? I was the third understudy. I didn't think I would be going on. And, and Katie Huffman never missed a show. And Angie Schwar, they were just absolute dreams to work with and extremely rock solid. Yes, rock solid. I, I remember going in and, you know, management, I'm still close with them today. They were so kind and so incredible, but they wouldn't approve my Tuesday, the Tuesday off. And so, you know, we look back at decisions that we make in life. I'm, I'm proud that I was honest. I'm proud that I did tell them, but something kind of snapped inside me. I went to get ready. And I remember sitting there and, and management announced it's half hour. It's half hour. Can't wait to see so-and-so tonight on law and order. And I just went, okay, okay. You know, I, something to me just kind of jerked me. So I actually, I went down to Matthew Broderick's dressing room and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to leave the show. And he was like, what? I said, I'm going to write out my notice right now. I need to think about it for a couple of days, but I, I just can't do this anymore. And, you know, and he just was like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> he could not believe it. So I didn't kind of know what, what would be next, but um, he ended up kind of taking over my fish tank. And I think my fish tank stayed in his dressing room with the producers <laughs> for a while, but it was not anything personal against anyone at the team. Um, I hope that Stro today knows, and I, I think she does. I've seen her after I got asked to come back to the show a few times when I, after I left and I actually moved to LA, I got asked to be in other shows of hers and it didn't work out. I, I ended up booking the producer's movie, but they called me in on a, a on a, they were building costumes and everything. And um, I was living out in LA and I booked another commercial that was very big. My agents at the time, I, I had to pull out of the movie. I went through rehearsals and did all that, but I had to pull out of the movie. And so 
Fast forward to years later, probably, I don't remember exactly what year, but it was when Stroh had a, another beautiful show, a very small show in New York. And I went back and I saw her and I just hugged her so hard and I cried. I think it was, you know, hopefully, of course, being grateful, thanking her for everything. But I think she understood where I was coming from. I hope not too many words were spoken, but the embrace that she gave me and we both teared up and she, I, I really let everything out. I was crying very badly. Her show was also amazing and emotional, but that was kind of the full story. And, you know, I really, I left the business and wanted to go to college. So it was a very big kind of, I would say death and grieving. And because even though I chose to leave, you know, I, they did let me go on for ULA before I left. So I got to go on with Nathan and Matthew once, which was again, I think just the greatest gift that I was, I could be given. So I, 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 again, I'm close with, with that team still to this day. So I, I just had such a big life shift and everybody was going, why, what are you doing? You're, you've got 15 more years left in you. And I, I just really had a big life shift. And, and so to get to the support, my agents and everybody were just like, oh my gosh, you know, we support you, but this is, this is, you know, you're not injured. You're not, you're not, not working. You're not, you know, you're not, not booking. You're not doing, you know, it was just kind of, I don't think it was understood by many people. My parents definitely got it. And my close friends, of course. Yeah. So that was kind of the, I don't want to say epiphany, but just shifting was happening. And then the timing kind of built up. And, and then I just said, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the show. I'm leaving New York. I'm moving to LA. But you followed your heart and you have enough self-awareness to listen to your voice. And I think that is so important in an industry that will pull you every which way. And if you have your own boundaries, I think that that is the only thing that matters. You wanted to do something and you listen to that voice. It's easy to take that paycheck. You know, I think they call it the golden handcuffs when someone's in a show and you you, you want to leave, but that check keeps coming in every Thursday and you're just like, well, you know, uh, a lot of friends who were in the long running chorus line stayed years longer than they maybe should have because of that golden handcuff situation. So you got your degrees multiple degrees. Am I correct? Yes and no. So because I hadn't gone to undergrad, I had to, you know, start there. So I, when I was in LA, I ended up going to Santa Monica college, which I think has about 40,000 students. So it's a pretty large community college. And it was, it was affordable because as you said, taking that paycheck and then going to absolutely nothing, you know, was, was a big, you know, life um, adjustment too, because you're, you're used to that. You're, you're, you are being paid, you're, you rely on it. So I started there and one of my professors was a UCLA political science professor. And I think I took that discipline and that drive, like, Hey, I'm going to be the student sitting in the front row, <laughs> you know, the annoying one, hopefully not too bad, but I was, I was so passionate because I was paying for every cent of every class. So it was, it, it meant a lot. I felt like I was risking a lot too, as well. He was a UCLA professor. So I applied there and um, got in and, and, and he said, look, you know, what are your goals? And I said, well, I want to work for X law firm. And sadly to say this now, but I was obsessed with it. And I had a file cabinet and I would look at every single associate and how they got to partner and where they went to school and where they went to law school. And I, I know it, it it sounds a little bit sad today to say this, but um, they all were Ivy League. They all were that I saw the partners at these top firms. And so I said to him, look, I, I need to transfer back to the East Coast. I want to go to an Ivy League school. So I applied to 28 schools. 
and I know I'm cringing, I'm absolutely cringing right now saying this, but, and also needed a lot of money because here I am coming from one career to another. This is going to be a huge undertaking. And as you guys know, it's almost $300,000 to do an Ivy league undergrad education. You know, it's, it's insane. I'm sorry to say that, but it's just, I I'm, I'm a product of that, but I needed a very big scholarship to go. So I applied everywhere from every school you can imagine. Um, had my huge file cabinet and I, I got in every, almost everywhere, I think surprisingly enough, but my essay started with the first time I kissed Matthew Roderick, you know, this many eyes were on me and I was at the St. James. So I went through my kind of story, but I ended up at Penn and Wharton because I thought maybe corporate finance and mergers and acquisitions is where I wanted to go. So I kind of went from one pressure cooker to another, from the pressures of Broadway, the pressures of, you know, that to a pressure cooker of the academians who are there studying. And, and there were definitely people there that were absolutely having a blast and not studying. So it's not this utopia of everyone sitting in these 300 year old desks, you know, <laughs> sitting there. But, but I was that person walking down the street, like Ben Franklin was founded the school. This, I was that, I was so excited. I, I was probably, it was like watching one of those comedies where you see Jack Black or somebody go back to school without the partying part. Um, <laughs> You know, so I was, I was much older when I would walk into a classroom, people said, Oh, professor. Hi. And I'm, I'm a student, you know, I was able to teach at Drexel and temple. So I was able to teach musical theater, which was amazing while I also was a student. So I, I kept studying cause I had to start from, well, I have my Santa Monica and my UCLA credits. Some of them transferred. So I started from kind of ground zero. I shifted again while I was there because it, it just, to be honest, I met who is now my husband, um, who was living in Atlanta and and you have these kind of conversations where you're just going, what kind of life do we want? You know, how much more am I going to like drive, 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 just keep going? Like, is it going to, am I going to implode basically? You know, cause I kept thinking, okay, here's this path. Here's this law school, blah, 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 blah. You know, okay. I'm going to move to Switzerland. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And it's like, wow, when does family come into it? When does, if that's, you know, that was a goal of mine. So Marcus also has Swiss citizenship, my husband. So um, basically I was working, working, working and got the call to go and start working in the UN. That was like my main goal. And I said, no, I finally like stopped myself to go, okay. I, I was able to go work for the late Senator Specter in DC. I was an intern there. That was incredible. So we had kind of an honors program where I went down to DC, lived there, studied just like a, like an internship program that, you know, most people were 18 to 22 and I was older than the chief of staff at the time. So I got to see Washington and um, kind of work there. I, I couldn't stomach it, to be honest. I thought I could, I went there like, this is so great. This is, you know, I sat in those stimulus hearings and I kept thinking that I, I could possibly see myself in Washington, but it didn't work out in the sense of that I could do it. So I go back to school, I graduate. So I, I ended up with a BA. I have a, a BA in political science where I concentrated in economics and philosophy and then Middle Eastern studies. That's kind of the thing. Um, I took a few law classes, but I didn't finish the law part of the degree. So that, that kind of you know, I just said, okay, let me finish this degree. I did go ahead and get a certificate in finance from Cornell, but it was online. So I was able to do that. Um, I wasn't able to go up to the campus and, and, and really enjoyed that. So I think just a lot of transition was happening. A lot of change was happening. I was trying to find my way and kind of figure out where, where and what I needed to be. And, you know, I didn't have those experiences going to college as someone would when they're possibly 18 to 22. And that's not the only way, but you know, when I was 17, I was around 30 year olds that in crazy few, when I was 30, I was around 18 year olds at school. So it was kind of this like That's the flip flop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I want to talk to you briefly. You spent some time in the Ukraine and I just wanted to get your opinion about 
as we're recording this, Ukraine has been invaded by Russia and there's an ongoing war happening. I just wanted to get your thoughts. If you, I want you to talk to us a little bit about your time there because I remember you posted these most beautiful photos of a beautiful place. And I said to myself, oh, I got to get there at some point because it was like a fairy tale, so stunningly gorgeous. What are your thoughts right now? I just, I'm so torn up about this that I honestly have to limit the amount of media I consume because I'm trying to function and I'm finding myself not able to do so if I just am watching all the television. And so what are your thoughts about this? Michelle, thank you so much. I, I feel exactly the same way. It's it, it's just a, it feel I feel physically sick for them. I feel helpless. I feel like a lot of people probably do. And the connection to Ukraine was that my husband and I went on about a 12 year journey to try to have children. So various rounds of IVF and IUIs and different things to, to try to have kids. And, you know, the kind of underlying um, issues were never told to us. And that can happen. And it's, it's crushing. It's devastating. Cause you're, you're, especially when you're kind of this goals oriented person and you're this person that thinks, well, my body has gotten me to the highest levels, you know, not to me, but you know, what the world considers some of the world, the highest levels on Broadway, but now it's letting me down in the most basic function of having a child. And so, you know, I went through just like hating myself and, you know, through that port and just, just not forgiving myself and just not understanding how can a 13 year old girl or, you know, however else have a child. And, you know, I was doing eight shows a week on Broadway. I was a rocket, those kind of things. And it's not related. It's, it's so unrelated, but that actually led us to Ukraine because we tried every avenue that we could hear. And every doctor said, there are no answers there. There's your eggs are great. Your cervix is great. You don't have this. You don't have that. Your vitamin D is fine. Your stress levels are good at this point. And so anyone that's going through something that's unexplained, you have to live in it and sit in it. And then at some point, stop feeling sorry for myself. I had to and go, okay, what are we going to do? How bad do I want to be a mother? So we traveled the 6,000 miles over there and the word surrogate had never really crossed my mind. And I never knew anything about surrogacy. I never knew except for incredible women were paid to do this, but I really had only heard about it with maybe celebrities doing it. And, and I, I hate to say that in that way, because I don't know what the celebrity was going through, but that's kind of my knowledge of it. Well, it, it happened and I lost our last baby in November, December, like 14th. Um, we were flying over there in 2017 to, to check it out, to check out some agencies and things like that. We wanted to see it in person. So we went on a beautiful whirlwind trip. Thank you for supporting the seeing it, but the pictures and, and all of that. We went to Lviv, we went to Kiev, we went kind of all over those regions. So we took a, a train over. They're they're an incredible people and and what they're going through right now is just unbearable. It's it's unthinkable. It's you know, in Yemen you've got a horrible situation as well. So I'm not saying it's the only situation in the world, but it's just absolutely horrific to think that a people, you know, that has fought not and lost so much. The people there are so strong and resilient and are so wanting the same things that everyone wants. You want, you want some security and some safety and some peace. And if you look back at what Stalin has done and, you know, millions of people have been killed and, and massacred in Ukraine for decades and getting through that while we were there, that first round, everything was just, Oh, this is wonderful. And people were great to us and, and all of that because we were vacationing there. Then we were able to find an incredible angel, our surrogate, who I'm still in touch with. And I actually just talked to her yesterday. So 
the surrogates, we were, I was very concerned to, you know, wonder how they're treated because any, any, I think most, most countries that are emerging, you know, into a democracy or into a republic coming from a rule like that, um, there's going to be corruption. And, And I'm not saying there's not corruption in America. Of course there is, but you know, some things are done in ways that are very different culturally to what we feel. So I thought to myself, well, if we're paying this much for surrogacy, how do I even know if the surrogate's getting the money? I mean, there were so many questions. How are they treated? How, how is everything happening? So my concern was so much for her and her family. Our, our agency chose surrogates that had a child before, has gone through surrogacy before, and that, that were married. So they had a support system. But the sense of giving her a better life and giving her a life for her daughter that she could never afford a house or an apartment to buy things like that prior to. And, and again, she did it before. So it's a very, very big class structure jump in, in, in how people live. So you could have a five course, just amazing dinner there for $20 us. And the, the, the standard of living there is varies so much. I mean, between we saw, you know, from, from slum apartments to just people wearing Chanel every day and, and things like that. And so not on the level of when you go through the slums in India, but it's, it's what the people have been through and what they're trying to come through is what I really felt was that they supported our, our ideals because they were trying to fight to get away from Putin. They were trying to fight to get away from just the, you know, the iron hand basically. And when you come in and you see the big mother Russia statue, it is, it is overwhelming. I mean, so when we came back in and we lived there that time in the West, there was war going on. Our, our children were actually born in Odessa. And when the U S naval ships came in, this was 2018, we flew because there's not a U.S. embassy in Odessa. So our, our kids were born in down south in Odessa. It's beautiful, almost beach resortish town. Very, very beautiful. We flew up to Kiev and that day there was a bombing on our street, actually. And that was 2018. And so I, I feel that I can never understand as far as being an American citizen. I just, you know, to me, it's one of the greatest gifts. And I, I know we have our issues. We have our problems, but I would stand there at the embassy. I was trying to get out and, you know, there's lines of people, lines of people. And I, I, I did end up getting trapped there for several months and and having issues with, with, with getting out with the kids. And um, when we packed our apartment up and we left to the airport to fly and they wouldn't let us leave, I had the first panic attack of my life. I mean, I will say it was full on. I passed out when people have that kind of control over you you, you, you lose your breath, you lose your way. I mean, you, you just, you, I was absolutely hysterical. I mean, and my husband was trying to console me. I'm holding two babies that are just a few months old. And, you know, we had moved out of our apartment. We sat in the airport and I just, you know, I I do think that I posted a status on Facebook that said denied, like we're stuck in the country. And then it just went, you know, survival mode. It went to, it went to, I will do anything I can to get out basically. And, and I feel I don't want to ever compare it to war because I, I, I was, I was in a, a battle, but nothing like you know, my God, what, what they're going through. And I ended up getting back to, you know, the state department there. And, you know, I walked in there, I was terrified because I thought, are they going to throw me into prison and I'll never see the kids again? Like, I did not know what was going to happen. And I said, look, you know, here's all of this. And, and I had all the paperwork and there were two people at a desk, you know, it, it looked like a, it looked like a movie to me. I thought, well, now I'm, now I'm not legal in their country because my visa had run out. They wouldn't let me leave. I really didn't know what was going to happen. It ended up 
that Australia ended up getting us out of the country and getting the baby's emergency passports. But my mind, as these people are fleeing to Poland, I mean, that was my plan because in Lviv, you can walk to Poland. And I, I had everyone helping us from people in the White House trying to get us out. Um, the U.S. Embassy basically said, there's nothing else we can do for you. They were on speed dial. They said, you know, just be careful. We need to keep in touch with you. We'll keep checking in on you. But you, you get to a point where you will fight. You will do anything. You know, at first you're, you're shocked and you're devastated and you're crying again. And then it's like, my God, you will fight. Just like these women and the people of Ukraine trying to get out, trying to save. They will do anything to save their kids. They will do anything. They will walk for miles and, and, and live down in, in the subways. And I feel the same way as you, Michelle, because it's so intensely hard to watch. You know, I feel like I'm trying to take in. And my friends that are going through the surrogacy journey, you know, some of their embryos have been destroyed. And you see, for someone to go on the surrogacy journey in this manner, most of the time they have been through every th single thing you can imagine. And I met people there that had been five or six journeys. You know, it, it's not carrying a child is, is just a miracle in any way. And anything can happen to the most, the healthiest of babies, the healthiest of people. And to put yourself there and to try to go through it, the other issue is, is that a lot of countries, surrogacy is illegal in their countries. So we chose Ukraine because my name's on the birth certificate and my husband's, you know. So some of the, the people like in the UK will have to take their babies back that they're related to and adopt them because they were born either in another country or you know, they might've used a donor egg or whatnot, but it's, it's, and then, and then I think of all my friends too, who are gay or lesbian that are also trying to go through this. And some countries do not allow that at all. Um, it's yep. illegal there. So there are so many levels to having children and trying to get them into the world. And I just, I just can't believe that, that it's happening on one hand. When I wrote the agency director probably four weeks ago, and I said, hey, we are terrified for you over here. Do you think anything's going to happen? They're like, oh, no, Putin is always threatening. Nothing's going to happen. You know, we'll be fine. And so that's when I started writing them saying, I will sponsor you on a tourist visa. If you need to come here, please come. I will get you to America however we can. They give, gave us our children, our gift of life, you know, and I know that our surrogate has gotten safely to Germany. Um, and I messaged her saying, look, as soon as you get there, I will wire you money. And she never said a word. She never, ever has asked us for $1 since the kids have been born. She's never asked for a thing at all. And I didn't hear from her. She was in a camp for about 11 days with her daughter. Didn't hear from her. And, 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 and friends of mine too are reaching out. And I know you reached out as well, Michelle. Thank you. And just um, the terror that they feel I cannot even grasp, but the fighting resilience that they have, that they've already been through and they will continue to go through um, is absolutely amazing. I mean, it's not the right word, but it's, it's incredible. I really pray that this situation resolves very quickly and peacefully. Um, I just, your story is incredible. And the fact that you made it out with your beautiful kids is just, you know, after hearing this, like show business doesn't seem it, it doesn't seem all that like vital. Like, did you get a call back? Yes, no. You know what I mean? It's I, I love what we do as a job, but there is there's such bigger universal things like being able to be free, being able to be safe. And I just am going to continue to do whatever I can. It might be small, but little actions can add up if we all kind of band together and just keep fighting and keep trying. And I, I pray for everybody. And I do believe that prayers have some strength and weight to them. So 
Um, you know, this is a very, I wanted to talk to you about it because you have been there and you know, personally, these, these beautiful souls and these beautiful people that do not deserve to have their homes destroyed and do not deserve to, um, you know, they're, they're having to resort to taking up arms and making Molotov cocktails. Like, come on, you know, that's whoever thought that you'd be like having to resort to that. But um, I just, one of the things I love about you is that you're, you are, you're a mother, but you're like, you're just such a mother to everybody that you work with. I have never felt so supported in my career. And when I had that audition for you and I walked in the room and I sang for you, I just was so hoping that you would want to work with me too, because I was like, I'm in the next phase of my life. I'm not the 20 year old with big hair anymore who can just like tip in in high heels and get the gig. But I feel like I do have something to offer. And the fact that you recognize that is so important to me. But what what makes you choose a client to work with? What are your criteria for working with people? Michelle, that is so kind to say. And I, I am so honored because when you're, when you submitted in, I was just like, I want you. I mean, I didn't, you didn't even have to sing for me. And I was just like, I'm so honored that, that you were even reaching out and submitting to me. And so I, you didn't even have to sing for me, to be honest. I just, you could have walked in and I would have been like, I want to sign you because of your reputation and who you are. I, I think, you know, at this level, everyone's talented and, and everyone has an essence. So I think that we are so lucky to be in an industry that anyone in any age can be hired. There is not a, oh, you're 80, you can't do this. Oh, you're 15, you can't do this. Oh, you're, you can, you absolutely can. So um, for, for everyone that's listening, you said you had some young people as well. Um, just know that there is no you. And it sounds so cliche, but that's what, that's what we look for or I look for. Um, I can't speak for other agents, but when, when people are submitting and artists are submitting to me, I look for, you know, are they, are they giving their essence of who they are? And does it fit enough in with kind of what our roster is and where we are? So, you know, if, if we just, let's say if we just signed 15 amazing dancers who sing and then the next day or the next like few weeks, so many dancers who sing submit, I'm going to need to pass on them because I'm, I'm getting these new artists in and I am building the relationship and trying to get them you know, work and, and get the relationships with the teams. So sometimes it's timing and it's not, um, that you are not talented or you look a certain way, um, or anything like that. I, I love very proactive clients and Michelle, thank you for saying that because I think that my teaching and directing and choreographing kind of comes in a little bit too much probably, um, too, because there are so many things that I wish that I could tell our clients, that I don't even have the answers to because of X, Y, or Z. And it's so hard because when I was on the other side, as you said before, when I was an artist, um, you know, I didn't know why my agent was submitting for X, Y, and Z. You get this random audition. You're like, oh my goodness, what's happening? And then you might not hear from them for weeks and then you don't get feedback. Um, these things are, are, are the same things that I face. I'm trying to hustle every single day for my artists. And I will watch a tape and I will weep. I will literally weep and go, this is the person. This is, this is the person. And I am so passionate and on fire. And sometimes my husband's like, you got to just like calm down, but I'm not <laughs> passionate. 
Um, and then, and then they don't get through. And I'm just like, I'm going, why, you know, um, I'm literally going why the same way as I did when I was an artist. And, you know, I really truly believe that I don't like to percent, you know, give a percent, but maybe 98% of casting directors, maybe more, um, truly, truly, truly want to hire you. They want the artist to be a fit. And they care about artists. They truly do. They care about artists. And I think that it's a time now where they're giving more opportunity um, to because they can watch more tapes. So when we when we went in the room and maybe they had 20 slots, you know, available, now yeah. they might be able to watch 60 to 70 tapes for that same role. Um, I still think we need to do more with diversity inclusion. That's another conversation. So we have still far to go, but I think casting directors are doing more than they ever have and the physical time that they do not have to write back. So numbers I'm seeing, and again, I can only speak for my agency is that anywhere between two and 5,000 submissions are being submitted for one role. And then sometimes between 20 and 60 artists are taping for that role. So the fact that they cannot write those 2,000, 3,000 people feedback back is, is part of the industry. And I know that it is as an artist so hard because I would go to those auditions and I obviously didn't self-tape. Um, it just wasn't a thing in my time, but I would go to those 10, 12 hour auditions day after day and keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. But the feedback is those teams are bringing you back. Those teams are, when they bring you back again, that's feedback, you know, and I always write congratulations because when you get an appointment, because that's why um, cutting down and getting down to those artists that they actually want to tape. I, I'm, I'm always like, this is a win. This is a huge win. And I, I think, agree. You know, I, I want those to be celebrated. I think we are so hard on ourselves as artists um, and, and living that full life. So whatever stage you're in, I don't call it, you know, a second act artist or a first act artist. You are an artist period because you say you're an artist and, And I think that whatever you're doing in life is going to just fuel you and and ignite you. Um, But the clients that I really, really love to work with are those, of course, that are, you know, have something, have just something that I just feel so passionate about, but ones that also are open enough to feedback. And I, I think that that can also be feedback, you know, so I personally watch every single tape that goes in. Um, I might watch 65 tapes in a day and I love it. I mean, I just, I don't do it to control. I do it because I think that I see growth in artists and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that, you know, you had this facet of you and, and, and I did because I submitted you for that part, but then you brought something else to it that I just blows me away. Um, the thing that I think if I could say in a way of, with love is that, you know, understanding the business of acting, I wish that, you know, more artists would not that they're not taking time to do it, but that they would, you know, focus on that a little bit more at a certain level. Again, you know, the relationships you have with teams, as you said, working with someone on set for 16 hours a day and, and, and doing eight shows a week in a Broadway show, it's a family, it's a world. And taking all of that into consideration that, you know, when you land, just the industry owes you nothing. And, you know, I've known Tony award winners that the very next day, they're just like, okay, I'm fully out of work. I need, you know, no one's seeing me. I can't get in the room. 
So that's the, the harsh reality of the business. But I will always support my artist with a vengeance as far as trying to get them the best deal and, and go, hey, you know what? I'm in your corner. I will support you if you decline that audition. I will support you if you want to pass on this project. Um, if you, the material is inappropriate for you, everyone has a threshold, say no. I don't want, you know, back in when I was working, I didn't want to let my agents down. I don't know if I turned down an audition. You know, I, I felt not from my agents, but it was almost like a power struggle. And I felt kind of scared to call them. Or I felt scared to decline. I felt, again, this was nothing that my agents put on me. It just, I felt, oh my gosh, I can't even write in. Um, I've never seen a talent report, you know, those kind of things. And so I tried to give that to my artists, but unfortunately I'm only one person with an assistant and an intern. So, um, and they're amazing, but I wish that I could counsel everyone and say, not that you're needing advice, but just say, Hey, I, I always will write an email, you know, with feedback, but I wish that I had more time to split myself. And really when we started out, I was able to have those a lot more private one-on-one the mainly the phone calls that I'm making to artists are, um, you know, Hey, you booked it (laughs) kind of calls, but I feel like I try not to get those lost in emails. And I really hope, hopefully it comes across an email that I'm really, you know, supportive of our artists and trying to get them in, but it's, it's, it's a fine line. And the other thing is, I think everybody needs something different. And I know I'm not a right fit for everyone. Um, Whenever I interview a client now, I just say, look, this is my style. This is what I expect. And I hope that you're doing, I hope you're sending me biweekly updates. I hope you're coming to all our zoom agency calls that we have, um, I'm not going to finger point and and parent someone. Everyone's a professional, but our most successful clients and people that have longevity are, you know, doing those things. Um, So my style is not right, not right for everyone, not a right fit. And you need to be with the agent that really not only feels passionate about you, but actually gets you in the room for projects that you're passionate about. And if it's not a fit to me, I will wish you the very best um, in life. And it's not about, um, you know, a personal relationship in a sense, which I do have personal relationships. It's about, you have got to fulfill what you want to fulfill. And if it's not a good fit, then I truly, truly wish you find the best fit for you and what you need. And that can happen in stages too. Sometimes, you know, um, I don't personally believe that, you know, you have an agent, um, necessarily, and you just have this relationship and you stay with them forever, you have stages of life where you need different things through different agents. And I, I know I had that as well. And I think the best agents will um, also understand that and support your moves and just be like, this is so great that you got into, you know, this one or a three letter, you know, a three letter agency mm-hmm. that is just so, you know, I support artists and wherever that is, if it's with me or not with me, I will still support you 1000%. I, I wrote, um, an artist that used to be with me and she just got into a big Broadway show. Um, and I wrote her an email yesterday and she said, I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. And she wrote back, Oh my gosh, that's so nice. And we don't work together anymore, but I fully support her. I fully, um, support her as an artist and what she's going to continue to do. That's wonderful. I think we're all in this together and that's what makes it fun. And that's, it's challenging. Hopefully what we do can inspire other people, just the stories that we tell the, um, you know, working in many of the mediums, live theater, TV, film, we can make life better. That's, that's my goal is to just touch people in a way that, that things get better. Michelle, you're so right in seeing it. 
you know, builds empathy and we, we put ourselves in, in, in other shoes and seeing the director's vision and the artist bring it to life. I think there's absolutely nothing, nothing like it. And, and you said it like the human condition, there's always another layer. We are so complex and I just love it. I, I'll see movies and I, I watch so much content um, and I'm just like, wow, I haven't thought about it from that perspective or just the shedding light and the shedding of the layers and just the growing is, is incredible that we we're able to be a part of it. And, you know, you're able to explore as an artist, but then when we view it and we take it in and we experience it, it's just, there's nothing like art to me. There's absolutely nothing like it. Thank you for coming on. You have inspired all of us. I'm thrilled to just talk with you and I just appreciate you so much. I'm so grateful to know you and to work with you. Michelle, I cannot thank you enough. And and viewers, I I apologize if I I don't like talking about myself. I I wish all of you the very best and, and, you know, whatever you're doing. And, and I think too, just remember that whatever your ideas are, it can happen anywhere. It doesn't, you don't need to land in New York to do theater. You don't need to land in LA just to do, you know, things. So, you know, my story is, is different as each of yours are, but I just want you to know with an open heart that you can work really from anywhere in any market and don't let it discourage you. There are many, many ways of finding, you know, what we could call success in this industry. So just keep going, keep growing, keep training. Wish everybody the very, very best. Michelle, thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor. I'm so grateful for that interview that really bolstered my spirits, inspired me. I hope it inspired you. Next week, we will have another episode. I hope you'll tune in. And if you are liking this podcast, please tell two friends about it and ask them to listen. And if you could, please leave a nice review on iTunes. That really helps this podcast. And I have some exciting news coming up. I'm headed to Portugal to work, and uh, I will tell you all about that in a future episode. Bye and thanks. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Oh,